Welcome to this episode of How We Hatched, a bonus podcast series by Hatchpad. I'm your host, Tim Winkler. Join me as we dive into candid conversations with tech founders and leaders and unveil their unique startup journeys. On today's episode, we sit down with Mike Brown, the CTO and co-founder of Strider, a software development startup that provides data-driven solutions to companies that want to prevent IP theft. Mike breaks down what it's like to take a startup public, how Strider's leadership navigated growing an organization during a pandemic, and the core values that helped guide Strider to 100% customer retention rate. So grab a drink, relax, and enjoy the episode. Uh, we'll jump uh, jump in. Mike, thank you for joining us on the Pair Program. Um, this is another bonus episode of a mini series that we call, you know, how we hatched. And it's a fun discussion just to kind of hear a little bit more about your unique career journey and where you came from and how you arrived at this current point in your seat today as a CTO and co-founder of Strider. Um, I always like to start by, you know, having you provide the the listeners with the quick overview of Strider and the the problems that you're solving here. Yeah, thanks, Tim. And thanks for having me today. It's, it's great. It's been sure. great partnering with you. Uh, so Strider's goal here is to help large companies protect their IP. That's at the very high level perspective, right? Um, to that end, we've, we've taken a large set of data um, and we provide an outside analysis for that company. So that way the company doesn't have to worry about shipping large volumes of PII to us. We're able to automatically determine who are the employees and past employees and figure out what all their IP is that they have so we can automatically figure out how it needs to be protected. Nice. Yeah, certainly a mission-driven company and, and solving some big world problems um, that we all face uh, today. And uh, I, I would love to hear, you know, a little bit of a flashback, if you will, on your journey, uh, maybe start from, from the roots. You know, where, where did you grow up? And, and always interested to hear how you got into the world of tech. Yeah, it's, it was quite a little journey. Uh, I start. I was born in a small coal town in Pennsylvania. Uh, it sounds kind of funny. It's called Shamokin, Pennsylvania. Uh, <laughs> maybe six thousand people live there. It was a classic small town. One middle school, one uh, elementary school, and one high school. Um, they were big into recycling back then because uh, I got to my middle school was my mom's old high school. My elementary school was my dad's old high school, mm -hmm. right? So it was kind of a very small town. Um, when I was in the eighth grade, my parents moved down to Frederick, Maryland, right? Um, I thought that was a huge place because they had like two high schools, something else. Um, <laughs> that, that, uh, when I started there in eighth grade, they required every student to take a programming class, right? So I had a nine-week programming class and absolutely fell in love with it. Like it was like Dr. Water type stuff. Then when I went to high school, uh, back in that time, that high, my high school was an old magnet type school. So they actually offered computer programming for four years. So I had taken, when I graduated high school, I'd uh, been programming already for four years in high school, two years of basic, year of Pascal, one year of Fortran. But the cool part was, um, I was never a big sports player, very uncoordinated. But I was on the varsity computer science team uh, when we actually did competitive programming. Oh. And um, my high school, we were first place that year in the country. So kind of got into it pretty early. Um, my dad was a cabinet maker. My mom was an accounting clerk. 
So my parents told me very early, I had to figure out a way to get through college. I, just, I worked my way through college. Yeah. Started um, at 19 at IBM, working during the day uh, in, the, in the imaging processing group and finished up my bachelor's degree at uh, University of Maryland. Very nice. So you were working at IBM while going to school? Yeah, I worked full time. I went to school full time. And, and uh, coming out of school, did you uh, continue with IBM or where, where did your, your path lead you uh, once, gra- once you graduated? Yeah, so once I graduated, uh, six months after I graduated, yeah, about six months after, uh, IBM did their first layoffs ever. So they eliminated my entire division. And that's when I was one of the first startups I did. So four of us started our own company. Um, that was much more in the bootstrap model, did consulting, built some products, um, very heavy in the image processing land. So I did that for about three or four years. What was the name of this, this startup? So that startup was called Pragmatic Image Technologies. Okay. So pretty small, pretty small shop at the time. We didn't, we didn't grow. And that's, the, that's a challenge when you do a, a bootstrap kind of startup, right? If you're funding growth based on, you know, the billable hours you have, it's, it's tough. I don't think I realized this, uh, that, um, I saw it on your, on your profile, but I, I don't think I realized it was a, a startup. So, um, I'm always intrigued with folks that dive into a startup, uh, you know, pretty early age and, um, you know, coming out of a, a big, you know, yeah. stable company like IBM, well, I guess maybe you didn't feel the stability if they were going through the layoffs at that time, but um, where, where do you think this um, uh, interest in, in the startup world came from? Is it something that your, your, your folks kind of were any entrepreneurs as well? Or did you just meet up with a buddy that said, let's, let's give it a shot? Like, tell me a little bit about that. I, you know, I, I, my, dad, my dad worked in the manufacturing space primarily in his life. So I saw that, you know, he wasn't able to control his own destiny. Right. Um, and I think the best part about a startup and, and going out and starting your own venture is the ability to, to, to shape your own future and to build something. I, I was heavily influenced by his you know, ability to create cool things, you know, wood products and cabinets and, and build things quite proficiently. I just did that on the software side. Mm. So a little bit of both of those things kind of came together to give me the ability to. That's why I've always kind of gravitated towards startups. Right. So. I think Strider is actually the fifth startup I've been part of. Wow. That's really neat. Yeah. I, uh, I love that, uh, being in control of, of your destiny. It's something that I actually preach to my team quite a bit as well, you know, especially when you're going through a lot of adversity, you know, you, you all have the ability to steer the ship, you know, um, you know, those folks that, that are leading the team and, uh, as a co-founder, you know, that's, that's something that you got to be passionate about. Otherwise it's, it's tough to, to keep, keep folks motivated. So, um, always interested to to hear that. So thanks for sharing that. And then, you know, it looks like you you spent a couple of years and um, uh, maybe in a couple of larger organizations uh, after Pragmatic Image Technologies. So, um, you know, talk me through those uh, years, and then you know, obviously we'll we'll lead into your your long tenure here at Comscore um, as well. Yeah. So uh, after um, yeah. I've- I was really wanting to finish off my master's degree, right? So I didn't had, didn't really want to take off time from working to do that. So I wanted to do that. And that's kind of when I said, let's try like some of these smaller, let's try, try a, a larger company, right? Do that for a bit. Take a break from trying to build a business while doing all that stuff. And the, you know how it is, right? You're like, you know, when you're, when you're, when you're, this, when you, 
in a startup or whatever, you're working during the day and planning what you got to do at night. It's, it's, it's all encompassing tack on a graduate degree on top of that. It's a BD. That's a, it's even harder. Hmm. So, um, I figured, oh, let me do this. I'm in Virginia. I I was living in Maryland at the time. There's all these different kind of government type places around, Mm -hmm. you know, government contract. Let me try one of those and I'll do the, just the master's degree at night. Was talking to folks and I went to this one company, uh, Global Management Systems up in Bethesda Mm. and uh, was talking to them and show up and I get put on like a small project. And it's kind of funny. I've been in the work professionally my entire adult life in the mm-hmm. DC area. I think I've only ever been on a government project for two months. Wow. Um, that was the two months. First two months I was on that project. Um, but then my manager came to me and says, hey, I, I saw that you speak German. I'm like, well, yeah, I took German in high school, like three years. Oh, okay, you know German then? I'm like, well, you know, like three years. How would you like to go to Germany? I'm like, that sounds great. When? Next week? Oh, how long? Nine months. There I was, off in Germany. I actually took my final exams from my hotel room in Germany. And uh, I got true immersion, man. I was in the German, the, working in an office at the German railway, Deutsche Bahn. Wow. Keyboard in German, Oracle in German, Lotus Notes in German. Wow, what an experience. Quite an experience. It was a great time. So best way to see Europe is on somebody else's dime, I'll tell you. Yeah, that. sure. Um, so I was pretty well set up, um, finished off that stint, uh, came back, finished off my bath, my master's. And that's where I went to my next startup, which was, uh, Peregrine Technologies. So that's where I, uh, had the good fortune of meeting, uh, Dr. Majid Abraham, who was the co-founder of, who founded Peregrine, who was also the co-founder of Comscore. I see. Okay. Right. So started there uh we built a one you know multi-dimensional database engine so a central theme of a lot of things and from a data it's always been data Mm -hmm. right i've always been interested in startups where there's a focus on you know businesses in that area Mm -hmm. did that uh showed up two months later they got acquired right not too bad you know start show up at the startup and three months later you're you're already acquired was that something that was, um, you know, kind of made aware to you or was it just kind of just the timing of it just happened to, to be right just the way the timing worked out? Right. Yeah. So. Um, so I was there and then I went to a small project at uh, NESD working on for Na- uh, NASDAQ area to help, you know, get ahead of some of the items for individual filing and things required for brokers to get licensed. Learned about that. Um, then after that, uh, kind of, I think then I kind of made my way to Comscore, right? It was a couple of little here and there type places. And that's where uh, Majid had actually reached out to me, um, said, Hey, I'm starting up another thing. I'd like you to be part of the team. I was like, I don't know, Majid, I kind of like where the thing I'm at. And this is where you at. And at that time, my, well, my wife, and that was my girlfriend, she was working right across the street. It's like, okay, well, at least I'll stop over out be able to see my girlfriend go out for dinner or something afterwards. So I stopped in and he was telling me what he was planning to do with Comscore, right? Let's, let's, you know, at this time, this is 99. We're trying to fix, they were a lot of like all the dot-com mania was truly going on. I said, Hey, I want to be able to predict total visitations to websites, but not just the visitations, but how much money in was, was being transferred so to move beyond eyeballs to actually understand how much revenue 
a company was pulling in. Mm. I thought it was a pretty compelling and a different way to look at the market. So I signed on there and I was there for what, almost 18 years. Yeah. This is quite a journey here. Uh, we can we can dissect this journey for for a little bit. Um, so you start as a as a, a senior developer. I, I take it. You know how many folks are uh, you know there at this point? Just just a I was the first years. engineer. I was the first engineer. Person, first engineer. Um, at that time when I when I started, and then they had a VP of engineering um, that was hired after I had you know had gone through the process of talking to Majid. Mm-hmm. Um, and I came in, I was like, Hey, we got to figure out how to, we have 20, we presented 21 slides, got $21 million in, in series a funding. Mm-hmm. We have a bunch of servers showing up. We got to figure out how to make all this work. Sure. And that's so, a healthy chunk back then. 21 million. Yeah. 21 million was like, it was back in the day, pre-seed. Right. But yeah. you didn't have like, but you didn't have like these nice things like AWS where you can just log on and spin up servers. Sure. Yeah. I actually delegated the CEO to go get a uh, U-Haul truck because we had to get the U-Haul to drive it over to the data center and do stuff like that. <laughs> wow, that's that's wild. So so you're so you're uh, joining this company as a senior developer and you know first engineer really kind of hired. Um, obviously, had a past uh, relationship with the leadership. And uh, did you have any idea at the you know for one, I guess the the scope and scale of what was getting ready to take place. I mean, what, how was the vision kind of presented to you? Was it a, uh, something that you're just kind of, you're going to go with the flow here and see, see where it goes. But you know, it, it obviously, uh, we'll get to it. It turns into quite a, quite a success story. Yeah. I think, you know, I, I I'm always a, I, I, I big fan of, of understanding the big picture, mm-hmm. right. And then understanding there's a lot of little pieces and it was, I, I will say that there were a lot of details we had to figure out. We got sure. started. It was uh, like, oh, we'll just have some panelists. And we'll recruit them. We'll figure out a statistical formula to have them represent the population. We'll figure out all the transactions they made, multiply it together, and then that's it. It'll be easy. Right. Um, and you don't want to talk about the devil in the details on this. It's a lot, right? So I think at that time, we found there was 27 different ways that you could check out of just Amazon. Mm. 27 different, you know, checkout pages. The, the number, of, you know, that was just for one, albeit very important site, right? Um, and all the different things, like how do you actually count revenue, right? Do you count gift cards? Do you count, you know, uh, those type of things? Some of the more interesting things in a very strange way that prepared me very well for Strider was uh, when we started moving internationally to understand like total, because you're trying, you know, you know, nobody's curious about like how much revenue goes they're curious about how much this comes from the U.S., but they mm-hmm. want to know worldwide. So we started trying to run numbers internationally, and we saw these really strange problems. Like, why is there such a large amount of people buying things from U.S. sites in Germany and Italy and things like that? And we were like, this is just doesn't make sense. We start figuring out. Well, these were folks stationed at military bases. Mm. Right. So how do you figure out that a person using a computer in Germany is actually German? Right. You can't look at just their IP address. Right. You can't look at their time zone. You can't look at these things. You actually have to figure out what is the how many web pages are actually consuming in a native language sure. to get to this. I mean, just just those kind of details are just amazing. Sure. 
So let's talk about your journey through here. So you were you were here for you said eighteen years. Um, yeah. You know, from from the you know year you know one to year five. You know what is what does this look like? Because it looks like you you kind of quickly evolve into a a, a VP kind of slot here. Or mm-hmm. tell me yeah. tell me about that that progression. And um, did you know going into this that you know that was going to happen so quickly? And and the amount of um, you know, growth that, that takes place here from a headcount perspective, you know, as I'm always intrigued with, you know, how you evolve into this you know, people manager, uh, which, you know, you, you have to take on at some point. So talk me through those first uh, kind of like five years. Yeah, I, I think in the first couple of months, like, oh, I'll just go start off. I just go code all day and I'll just, you know, I don't have to worry about managing people and all that kind of stuff. I can just manage my code and life would be grand. <laughs> um, but then I realized like the, the visions you have are just bigger. You need, you just can't do all of that with your two own two hands. You need a team. Right. And that's where I, I quickly got like, oh, I was hiring these people and start allocating the work to them. And I was like, well, you should be the manager. And then that actually became the manager of managers, right. To, to, to do all that. So really like the architect of the collection and the processing engine that was a, was a comms core at the time. Mm-hmm. So the first few years of that was building that foundational layer to get the company from just the initial A round through what they, we ended up doing through Series E, mm-hmm. right? Um, to get to a point that we could go public in uh, 2007, mm-hmm. right? So in, in eight years, which is about the normal maturation time for a company to go mm-hmm. from like a round to, to going public. Right? When you went public, do you remember uh, how big you guys were as a, as a company headcount wise? That's a good question. I think we were probably around 500 or so. And so you, you know, first engineer hired, um, now you clearly have uh, a lot of, you know, different kind of folks reporting in at that point. Um, you remain, you remain in the seat, uh, you know, uh, after you go public. Well, let's, let's backtrack first thing. So when you go public, I, you know, we just actually ran a, an episode about this, um, about post, you know, acquisition expectations, but yeah. You know, how do you get the team kind of rallied up for, you know, for this big announcement? And is it something that, um, you know, is it like a, an office wide celebration? You know, I, I'm always interested to hear, you know, this is a big accomplishment. What, what, what goes on behind the scenes here? Yeah, it's a big, um, it, it, that's a, that is such a dance to organize, right? It's like, you have all these things, like you have to start preparing people to say, hey, we're going from being a private company to a public company. And there's like all these disclosure rules and you have to be careful about what you say because it could influence the market. You don't want to, you know, you don't want to mess up the IPO, right? Mm-hmm. So that's a hard part. And then there's a whole thing of how do you manage the, the team? Like when do they, with all the kind of questions, like the minute you go public, well, that doesn't mean you get all your stock at that point, right? You have to, you know, especially when a new company issues stock through an IPO for the first time, you have to manage how much of the internal cap uh, stock can be sold at a time, mm-hmm. right? Because you don't want a whole bunch of people, but you almost have to almost educate a lot of these folks. So the first time they have a, any kind of large amount of stock offering, you have to explain to, you know, I think we did a couple classes explaining what's the difference between a market order and a limit order. Like limit orders are your friends, right? Don't just don't issue a market order if you have a thinly traded stock because you could actually crash. You could lower the stock price. Um, And the first couple of weeks after you go public, it's, you have to just tell folks like, listen, the things you do today will not influence the stock price today. Stop looking at the stock price 
all day long. That will not do anything for the stock price. Mm -hmm. Stress you out. Look at it at the end of the day. Look at it at the end of the week, whatever. But the things you do today will influence the stock price three months, six months, a years down the road. Sure. Right. So I think that's the biggest thing you have to do with like when you go through like an APO is you got to help the team understand this thing of like what you're doing today influences things down the road. Sure. I almost use it as a motivator, you know, to to kind of stay heads down. This isn't the end of it. You know, we got to keep, (laughs) keep, keep moving. Yeah. You got to think about like, remember, you guys are the ones building the future. Right. This is the things that you have to do now that will influence things way down the road. Yeah. But the things you do today are not going to influence the stock price today. So I, I want to keep I want to keep uh, moving through this this experience at Comscore because you know one of the biggest things that we talk about you know Hatchpad is um, yeah. how culture evolves at at each different stage of a startup's growth and you know I think you know those early days right that the seed the Series A stages. Um, those can be really drastic jumps, uh, you know, where it goes from this kind of family environment to, you know, next thing you know is, you know, maybe you don't know everybody's name on the, you know, on, on, a, on a Zoom call. But, um, you know, what what was it for you that you would say was, you know, some of those challenges with kind of maintaining, you know, one, like you know, you, these these types of culture that you're 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 building uh and as the company gets larger do you feel like you know some of that gets lost along the way um you know you, you're a unique you're a unique uh individual in the sense that you spent 18 years in a place right so for one that's super rare uh but for two you started from you know really early stages and so i, I i'd love to take advantage of that knowledge and hear like what what were those what were those drastic kind of changing points from a culture perspective as you're as you're building this thing? Yeah, so I think uh, you know I think even as you're building a company, right? I think the biggest question a lot of folks and, and we saw a lot of this during COVID, which is the notion of people in multiple locations, right? I think the the smartest thing we did early on at Comscore and also was it was had, I think will pay huge dividends for us here at Strider is the fact that we agree, we decided to do multiple offices very early in our journey. I mean, a lot of companies will, will go to this level. It's one building. This is headquarters. This is where everything's at, things like that. At Comscore, we actually did that very early. We actually started up an office in Chicago. Hmm. I think it was right in, like, we weren't even like eight months old. And we had two offices, one in Virginia, one in, one in Chicago. And you had to learn how to, col- you know, collaborate with different time zones, different folks. And we, we chose very early to say that, no, not all engineering is going to be just in Virginia or all in, in Chicago. We had those functions in both locations, right? So from a culture perspective, at these early ages, it's really good to get those early training wheels up to get to understand how to build like what is a company culture, but then how you can have those own little like quirks that's respective to each location. So the Chicago office had some things they would do somewhat different than the Virginia office, but we had a common thing of like, this is how we jump in and we solve problems, we're data oriented, we focus on the customer, things like that. We did hold a lot of those same ideas um, that we did during COVID. And two of my co, you know, Greg and Eric, they had to move out for family reasons out to Utah. We made the decision to have a stay here in Virginia and also have a presence in Utah. Okay. Built upon that. And I think that, those doing that early 
can be painful, but you learn so much from an organizational building, organizational structure perspective. It helps you grow very fast, right? Especially if you go down the path of doing some M&A and you acquire companies and things like that. You learn how that you can have a corporate culture, but with individual subcultures so that they can still feel unique. Mm -hmm. Hey, startup techies. Has this podcast inspired you to explore a new startup career opportunity? Then make sure to check out myhatchpad.com slash jobs to browse startups by stage, tech stack, and salary. So, yeah, because I, I do want to lead into to Strider here in, in just a second. But sure. uh, before we before we uh, make that uh, transition, so you, you, you referenced the, the growth through, you know, some M&A comm score as well. Um, Tell me about that, how you, you know, how you bring those folks in from a, you know, in an acquisition perspective, you know, making them feel like they're a part of the team and, and, um, you know, kind of level setting that across, you know, folks that were, you know, the, the, the comp score, call them the OGs or whoever, what, what have you, but, you know, the, the new folks that come in, um, you know, making sure it's not an us versus them kind of feeling, what, what are you doing on your end uh, as a leader? Yeah, so I think the biggest thing I reinforce to both sides, right, the OG, right, and the and then and the new the new organization coming in is, companies are nothing without people, right? If if you don't have the, if the, you don't have those people that invented the items or created the technology, how are you going to get any future growth out of that, right? The idea is we didn't buy it for just a piece in time, it's about building that up and and organ you know doing that, but you know to ad- help them adopt that. They, are, they can have and still maintain some of their own unique culture to realize you're part of the bigger thing. And, but it's not like, oh, it's a separate company, mm-hmm. right? You're part of Comscore now. You're part of this organization and do this. And that, that model worked out really well, right? Because usually when you're doing acquisition, their headquarters are in some other location, mm-hmm. right? And then you have to do that. And that, that, we were able to do that for like a team in Amsterdam, team in Santiago, Chile, out in... Uh, uh, Seattle, mm-hmm. California, it, it, it that model, I think in Toronto, I mean, it worked out quite well to mm-hmm. just realize to everyone the saying, listen, yeah, they're the new folks, but remember we need that technology makes us better. And it's something we could bring to market and makes the, the brand and the company so much more valuable. That's how you build upon that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that's fascinating too. And I think that's something that, you know, um, you know, when you're aligning with co-founders and starting something new, I mean, I mean that's, that's experience that I think is probably held extremely valuable, um, you know, bringing into the, the, your, a, a new venture. I'm, I'm always curious on how, how much that uh, might appeal to your co-founders at Strider, but we'll, we'll talk to this, uh, to this Strider transition here. Uh, we'll wrap um, Comscore up. So, you know, 2009 to 2017, this is a, this is a, a, a huge stretch in, in your professional career and probably, you know, your, your personal life is evolving. Um, what was it about, you know, towards the, the later stages here at Comscore that, that made you feel like it's, it's my time is, my time is up here. It's time for, for a new chapter. Yeah. I mean, Comscore is a fantastic experience, right? I mean, I, I, during my time at Comscore, I got married, had both my kids, lost my father, my wife lost her mother. I mean, we had all kinds of, you know, major events you could imagine sure. during that time. Uh, professionally, uh, invent, got listed as an inventor on two dozen plus patents. 
wow. right, on all kinds of different technologies from biometrics to uh, Bluetooth frequency to cellular phone, you know, tracking uh, to privacy protections, those type of things. Um, and, and really got to grow to a, a, a major worldwide organization. I had 450 engineers reporting to me uh, in the technology organization and running wow. almost a nine figure budget. Right. It was <laughs> grew, grew a lot faster than I thought, you know, bigger than I thought. It was this early days. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, but, you know, as things go, then we, we merged with another organization, was with a company called Rentrack. Right. And at that point, a lot of my friends um, had, had moved on right after that. And for me, it wasn't the same group, right? The Majid, who I'd been with, you know, for many years, uh, Cameron. Surge, et cetera, mm-hmm. all those folks, they were, they were friends of mine. So it wasn't the same for me. And I was like, you know, I've, I've had a good run. Told my wife, I'm going to take six months off. I'm going to work on that honeydew list you got for me. You're right. Um, and and I, I had time to do a nice orderly transition. Right. So it was, it was the time for me to move on to just like, let me figure out what my next chapter in life is. But I wasn't exactly sure what that was. Sure. So that's kind of how that kind of came to the end. Yeah, it sounds like you left on a high note, though. You know, it it was um, you left on on your terms, and and um, you know, were you know made a conscious decision to take some time off, and uh, and then you know, move on to the next the the next uh, venture. And uh, we we don't need to spend too much time on on ID.me because um, I want to you know spend some some good amount of time on Strider here. But sure. you know, so you, you joined uh, um, another startup, ID.me. Uh, they're also a, a local startup yeah, and local startup here. Um, did a couple a couple of years here, or just over a year? Or like eighteen so. months, just eighteen months. Um, so, uh, uh, Linda Abraham was an advisor, mm-hmm. who was Majid's wife at, uh, at Comscore, also one of the founders, and she had was an advisor to IDB and introduced me to Blake. Blake and I had a couple coffees, got to know each other, got along really great. Said, hey, I really like someone who came in who has understand how to build a, you know, scale an engineering team, help scale technology, get some of the items ready to, to go as we move, as, to position the company well for, for future growth, right? Because they're trying sure. the bigger contracts that you now see, like you know, Security Administration, IRS, et cetera. So came in and, and helped put a lot of the building blocks in place for them to get to the, to their unicorn status, right? They got to some pretty large deals. Got, they were the first company to get certified against the NIST 863.3, right? Which is the, the highest level of identity verification out there on the market today. Um, and I think they're still the only one to be verified against that, that specification, which is a pretty wow. big. Um, but then as, as sometimes happens, right? You, you, uh, your network, reaches out to you. Um, and I, I still call it the ultimate date, you know, the ultimate uh, blind date. I, uh, some friends of mine that are uh, in the tech community that are up at Data Tribe, yeah, who gave it uh, Strider their seed funding, reached out and says, we got some fe- people who love to meet you, Mike. Can you come up to Fulton, Maryland one night? I'm like, Fulton, where? Where's Fulton? <laughs> <laughs> so it's actually outside uh, JPL. I mean, uh, not APL, I mean, John Hopkins APL. Yeah, there's quite a bit of innovation happening out there, actually. Uh, there is. A lot of cyber as well. Yeah, ton of work in cyber. Um, went up there one night, and uh, that's where I got a chance to meet Greg and uh, Mike Janke, who, was, who started Data Tribe. Mm-hmm. 
and they were like, you know, we, there's there's a big problem in the U.S. Right? There's China is stealing six hundred billion dollars a year in IP from the U.S. every year. I was just blown away. Hmm. Um, and so, from my own personal experience, I've had my code stolen, right? Not by China, but <laughs> but I've had it stolen, right? right. Um, I've had my IP infringed on from patents that I've invented, right? And that's just wrong, right? So I, that message or that issue really resonated with me. Mm-hmm. So they, they had me, they hooked me pretty quick from a mission perspective. Um, as we walked and This was through, just I, the, the co-founders at this point. Of yeah, this is just the, just the VC and, the, and, and one of the other co-founders. Yeah, and, and, and for the listeners, so uh, Data Tribe is kind of like a venture studio, right? They, they, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, think about like the East Coast Y Combinator kind of a concept. Right. So yeah. like, you know, they give you um, 2 million, you know, in, in, in funds to get started. They provide space for you to work. Mm-hmm. Some in-kind they, services. In-kind, a ton of in-kind services to help you get yep. started. Credits in the, in uh, you know, all the different cloud providers to get up and running. Mm-hmm. They've produced some all-star uh, startups uh, out of the, the East Coast. Um, uh, so... They've, yeah, like so Dragos they was Vail, another one. Like Envail, Dragos. Yep. Right. It's um some some pretty really stellar startups have come out of that out of that yeah. out of that model. Yeah. And and how do you know how they um tracked down these uh the the two the two founders from Strider? So it's kind of funny. So uh, Greg Levac, who's our CEO, mm-hmm. he's fluent in Chinese, and he has an identical twin, Eric Levac. Who's fluent in Russian? Fascinating, you know, background alone by there. But Greg had done a lot of work on the initial investigations into a congressional 301 report. So he did a lot of the work of understanding how China was stealing this IP Hmm. and been true subject matter expert. Eric had gone a slightly different path after his MBA and actually was a VC, right? So he was actually helping to build the VC side up of the, uh, Sultan of Oman's sovereign wealth fund, right? So they were pitching Eric on to invest in Data Tribe, right? To get in on some of these companies, and the kind of the conversation came up. So oh, I'm part of it. I have a twin, and like, oh, he has a twin, and he speaks Chinese, and started talking like what what Greg was doing, which was this whole thing of helping companies understand how their IP got got stolen. Mm-hmm. And, and Greg and Eric had been talking about for an idea that they should make this like not just a service, but a product, right? Like a SaaS solution. Mm-hmm. And Janky, like Janky from Data Tribe was saying like, yeah, that's, we should, you should definitely do that. We should get that going. Why don't you come into my shop? We'll do that here. <laughs> yeah, that's fascinating because they're, they're from Utah um, and Data Tribe being they're actually in from Maine. Maine. <laughs> oh, they're from Maine. Okay. So your family moved back to Utah. It's a little bit hard. Like if they're like Maine, Utah, Taiwan, right? Rules. They 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 got around. They got around. Uh, <laughs> but they found themselves in Fulton, Maryland, for uh you know for a meeting with you. And yeah. um you know it sounds like you your the mission was uh you know resonating with you. Yeah. What was it about your experience that you know was was so appealing to them? So it was kind of funny. So it was like, we're talking about this and they're like, okay, well, okay. You, I, I get, you understand data and playing with like crazy volumes. And they're like, well, you know, how does, how, you know, 
how does the Chinese internet work? And I, I said, can I get up and start drawing for you? And I started drawing like the internet and like explain how the great firewall works. And it's just like, hold on a second. How do you know so much about the Chinese internet? Like, are you a China guy or you've been to China? Like never been there, can't speak it, can't read it. But I had to, I was the first person to measure it. So at Comscore, we actually had built the first commercial product that measured all consumer activity in China. Wow. Right. Did the same thing for Russia. Right. So that capability was just a huge game changer of like giving us just a turbocharge effort at Strider because they there was people on the team that not just didn't know the language. We knew the language. We knew the material. We knew the how they were doing things. But we also knew how the technical matter worked. Right. So that was like a great, you know, I, I give I give Data Tribe props for like organizing getting us together. Yeah. Because it truly was the dream teams for from a startup. And did you think uh, Mike Janke, you know, had had that in mind based on your Comscore experience, or do you think it was more about the scaling of of tech teams and thought that that might just be a really appealing connection point with them? I'm going to give a little bit more props to Leo Scott and John Fung. So John Fung is now the managing director, right? So John was the one who actually pulled me, you know, was the one who specifically reached me out, reached mm-hmm. out, pulled me into that conversation. Um, Janky was definitely the closer. Right. I mean, once he once he had his he he saw what we were talking about and saw the chemistry between Greg and I uh, and Eric, he was like, you, you need to do this. And he was he was on me like white on rice. It was just mm-hmm. like. So this is uh, right around, you know, early 2019, middle of 2019. It was fast. It was the end of March 2019. OK. At that first meeting. And we got wrapped up all the papers and got all everything fully funded by May 6th of 2019. And so now we've got three co-founders, um, Greg, Eric, and yourself. Yep. And, um, you know, you, you've got some, some funding from data tribe and, uh, you know, talk me through the, you know, the, the, the last, you know, year, year and a half here, um, obviously, you know, a pandemic hit, so that, that shakes things up a little bit. Um, what was um you know what were, the, were those early stages like uh, at Strider? Yeah, so one of the things I, I learned about startups or or any kind of organization is you need capital to survive, right? Mm-hmm. But the capital is not unlimited, and capital comes with a price, right? Whether it's dilution or or what have you, right? But it always comes with a price. So I, Eric. From his experience on the VC side, I totally get that. Greg, from a leadership perspective, was 100% on board, but it was like, listen, we can't build a product that's sustainable if it's just all analysts doing things. We have to have the tech to like make this a game changer. We all agreed as we were like figuring out, like the, before we even got the funding set up, we set out a milestone-driven approach of saying, like, listen, this is how we will grow the organization. This is the order of when we'll bring folks on, right? Because mm-hmm. Two million sounds like a lot of cash, but that goes really fast when you start up a company where there's no revenue. <laughs> <laughs> That's a thing uh, we could we could we could we can bold that and uh, push that out to a lot of startups and let them know it'll yeah, save a lot it, of headaches it, down the line. It really is. I mean, like you realize you got to figure out like path to like minimal viable product mm-hmm. really really fast, mm-hmm. right? And you want to control how fast you hire because that's your biggest source of cash burn. Cash burn is something you got to watch like a hawk. Um, so those early days, we kind of let that out. We, we put that out, but it was like, wow, we got to start with, we're starting with zero, right? We had, we had 
a ton of like respective knowledge in our head, but we had no data, right? We had no, we had, we had a hypothesis that how we were going to capture like this type of information and figure this out. So it was a little bit like building a tunnel through a big mountain, right? Like they all do out in the Rockies, right? You start at one end, you start at the other and you have a good plan and you actually meet in the middle, right? Which is kind of cool. And that's where we did it. It's like Eric was out working on like talking to, to CISOs and CIOs about how, what kind of dashboard would be useful for you, right? Mm-hmm. What product, how do you want the product to work? Greg was leading the dissection of, of the, how this apparatus worked from a nation state perspective. Myself and, and Yvonne were working on like, how do we capture all this data? How do we process this data um, to, to get things up and running? Mm-hmm. And, uh, and that's where you're like, you get the big picture of like, yeah, you're going to capture all this data. And I was like, oh my gosh, it is all in Chinese. And I studied German, which is not very useful if you're looking at Chinese all day. Um, <laughs> but you, you, then you just learn to adapt. You make it, you say, okay, let's go to, um, symbolics, right? Everything is symbolic and let's build it up from the beginning to be symbolic recognition and, and take that forward. So I think it was like, how do we, so, so the team gave us a lot of latitude to like start building this out, like I laid out a plan of like, this is how we capture, this is how we're going to process, this is how we're going to synthesize the data to synthesize the data out of these pages, extract that data and organize it. Um, and it was a solid five, five months of just pounding on keyboard, cranking on stuff doing stuff and then greg greg will say that he was like then i knew the system would work like we actually were able to like i would able to run a query on a company and actually identify folks that have been compromised mm-hmm. so we had started saying let's start building the product right let's build out how we're doing that um but enterprise SaaS is hard right the average sales cycle for enterprise SaaS is what 18 to 24 months mm-hmm. from time of first encounter you know, 2 million, again, sounds like a large number. We'll put that in bold. 18 to 24 months is a really long time <laughs> to, to, to do a sale. That'll make you sweat when you look at your makes runway. You, makes you sweat. Uh, so then it goes into January of 2020. Uh, we were pre-revenue, right? That's a sexy term of no revenue, but that's, you know, we like to call it <laughs> we're calling ourselves pre-rev. Uh, we started making, uh, went out to Sand Hill Road, started making the pilgrimage, right? Talking to some folks. And just like, well, we're a category creator. Well, what do you mean you're a category creator? What is this category? Well, then if you're a category creator and you have no revenue, that doesn't mean anybody's going to buy anything. So why should we give you any money? Mm-hmm. Um, so we're like, okay, let's focus on revenue and we'll get something going there. And then March of 2020, the world changes, right? I, I still remember at that time, both my kids were in high school. I get the call at 6.30 in the morning, Loudoun County Public Schools are closed today. Mm-hmm. It's March. There's no snow. What? There's not even a forecast of snow. You <laughs> and I live in Loudoun, so we can mm-hmm. Loudoun County out there. Close at the threat of snow. Yep. Um, and that's when we started hearing about COVID, right? Um, that was pretty scary, right? Starting like the beginning of this thing, like uh, that weekend went in, pulled my computers back to the house, sunker down. Yeah. No revenue. Hey, burn. All yeah. we had was burn. We had some pretty nice burn. Uh, but they don't like that kind of a hockey stick on the burn. Um, 
And then clients started signing up. So literally in that year, in March, we closed our first sale. And then next month we closed our next sale. Um, and we actually had four clients, but I think by, I think October, right? So we had proven that we were able to convert on a scale that was way faster than the normal 18 to 16 to 24 month enterprise SaaS perspective. So then that's when we did the A. Mm -hmm. So yeah, a little bit there. Jump in there. So that's a, that's a, um, a huge confidence boost. Uh, you know, getting those those first four customers, and and this is uh, this is um, you may have touched on it already, but you know your target customers are Fortune five hundred companies. Fortune two hundred and fifty. Fortune two hundred and fifty. Was that it from the start, or did yep. did you just kind of land in that zone? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, and you know something that you know we you know here at Hatch, you know we 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 from a sales perspective, right? It's easiest when you you have some some blockbuster customer names that you can then kind of use as your case studies to, you know, present to new prospects and say, well, XYZ is using it too. So um, did you find that as a, like, a, you know, from, from growth, right? Once you landed those four, did it kind of snowball or did you, did it take you a little bit of time to kind of like, how do we, how do we kind of package this story up of what yeah. this company's, how they used our products? A core belief we've had at Strider from the beginning is that we want to have ultimate discretion, right? We would not say who our clients are. So if you go to our site, we do not list who our, sign, who our clients are. We have no logos up on our site. So, so yeah, that's a, it's a common approach in the, in the SaaS category to do that, but we actually chose an alternate path of we weren't going to disclose who our clients were. Mm. Now, now, thankfully, some of those would be agreed to be, you know, confidential references or if they got down a certain path or something sure. like that, but we wouldn't even use that. We, we decided to attack the problem slightly differently, right? And let's use data to, as an unfair advantage, right? So I mentioned this notion of how we have built up a large set of data. Today, we now have like three and a half billion objects in our corpus of documents, right? You know, 700 million plus resumes on file. So we, we came up with a way to automatically figure out everything about a company without getting any information from a company. So we could enable the growth team, the sales folks, that they could only, they would not waste those time, that time on prospecting. If there's an issue, we would actually arm them with, you want to talk to company A, just company B, because they have issues. See, this is a, uh, yeah, data is a very, very powerful thing when you're, <laughs> when you're working in this space, you're, um, you're able to have a pretty solid year in 2020 or would you say like uh that was a good steamroll year going into 2021 20, going into 2020 was a was a great way to you know close the a mm -hmm. have a you know nice you know set of clients that had already done it across a couple of industries and then 2021 was was really the you know taking that initial success and building that foundation to start getting more penetration into the individual sectors sure right and, and and you know the there was a uh a stat that i pulled up from a a press release that said you know increased annual recurring revenue by over 450 percent with 100 percent customer retention rate that yeah. that second stat line is really important that 100 percent customer retention rate is really something to be proud of it, it is it is it is fantastic right i mean uh to date 
right? As of now, we still have 100% customer retention. Wow. Which is, which is incredibly rare in a, in a space that is seed stage enterprise SaaS. But industry's gold standard is like 90%, mm-hmm. right? And if you're doing above that, it's even better. But when we can actually, I can go and say, no one has traded. Everyone has renewed. That tells you that, that the, what they're getting, it has value. Yeah, it's validated. It's, it's truly, truly validating for you and your team to say that there's, there's value here. Um, and so let's, let's bring it into the, in, into the modern day here. So, you know, what, you, what was the size of, of uh, Strider, you know, for perspective here in that uh, March of 2020 timeframe, right? Headcount, you said there was, you know, your pre, pre-revenue. What was the headcount? And then, you know, going into 2021, what, what, what was that growth looking like? Yeah, so I think people? March of 2020, I think we maybe had eight people. Okay. In March of 2020. Right. And where because are we at we, today? Uh, today, we're close to 100. Wow. We're at like 95, 98, somewhere in that range. We're, mm-hmm. we're, we're, we're pretty darn close to getting that, you know, century mark from a, from a staffing perspective. And so, you know, this is, um, do, you, do you see parallels from your, you know, from your time at Comscore in those early stages to, you know, to this wave of growth? Or is this, is this very, very different? So I will say that um, we got, we, we hit the mark way earlier than we did at Comscore, right? Uh, the first couple of like releases of data that we had at Comscore did not have that product market fit that you're, you're looking for. Mm-hmm. We got really lucky, right? That we hit product market fit on our first go. Right. And that's helped us drive and the, the go-to-market strategy, how we're able to use data to our advantage. Right. A lot of those things we, we, we learned and adapted very quickly. Um, that now we have this like killer, like super tight timeline to close a deal. Right. Um, mm-hmm. Go in with actionable insight on the first encounter. Right. Our, our goal and our motto is, is every encounter should provide new information to the client. Right. We shouldn't be there repeating. You, you know, repetition is good on certain things, but you always want to provide new insights. Yeah. And that model has, has helped us drive that great adoption from a customer perspective and keep our retention. And you guys recently landed about 45 million in a series B in April of this year. Um, I think I saw total funding was around 57 million, something along those lines. Um, you know, what is it, um, you know, from a growth plan perspective, you know, what is top priority for you all right now, uh, moving forward to close down this year and moving into next year? So I think a top priority is, is solid um, encounters with clients, right? Let's not get ahead of our skis, right? The biggest, the, we, we've always done thing in a very measured, you know, aggressive, but deliberate place, right? You don't want to go off a, a lot of companies when they do their B, We'll go hire a hundred, you know, quota carrying reps, right? Sure. And then all of a sudden you can't deliver on that data or you have customer service problems. And then you hit that stage where that ugly B2C stage where you have customer service issues or churn issues or things like that. Let's, let's engage and, and latch on to that hundred percent. You know, let's continue that mantra of how we got here 
mm-hmm. and provide that you know legendary customer service right of mm-hmm. how we understand what the issue is um do we have an aggressive plan sure right but we have an attainable plan right that's that's the goal is like one of the things i've learned and you know, being being on the management team of a publicly traded company where you're going to quarterly numbers right we have to get down to like you have to beat by a penny um you don't you want to beat by a penny you don't want to miss by a penny because the, the penalty mm-hmm. is just immense right um and, and i think we've taken that approach at strider and granted it's it's a little bit it's it's a little bit more chill because we're not public right but we have the team to do it mm-hmm. right? and we, we we are we are driven on the this mission right to help protect the ip of of our clients and move to to gain a better advantage leveraging data to our advantage sure yeah it's you know so you know full transparency we are you know a recruiting partner of of strider and you know we are um obviously looking at um you know scaling up certain areas on the tech team i want to um I want to quickly ask, and then we'll dive into some uh, a segment called Five Second Scramble. Sure. We'll, we'll do a couple of rapid fire questions, but um, paint for me the picture, the the lay of the land uh, at Strider. You know, you said nearing a hundred folks. Uh, what do uh, what do the tech teams look like here? Um, and you know, I know that you you've got a, a an office um, out in uh, Utah, and then you've got an office here. Uh, in an office in London, I believe. Can you paint the picture for me of like how the the technical teams are structured? Yeah, so there, there is no technical affinity for a location, right? So we have you have a team that's what I call focused on collection, team focused on extraction, processing. Big believer in development of internal tools. How do you make the team work better with the stuff you have? And then you have delivery, and then you have like IT. Right, as a standard support function from IT and security. That's yeah. the, the core pillars from the technology organization. But those those folks are in all locations. Okay. And how big, uh, roughly, is are the size of the the teams? So I, I'm a big believer. I, I do like the the notion of like you want to keep your your core teams to the what, what can feed what two pizzas or whatever is a, mm-hmm. is a good number, right? Yeah. A good good simple heuristics. So at this stage. I think we have like five. Oh, and I also have a data team, right? A data science team. Okay. Um, so most of the teams are around three to four right now, right? Which is, we've got that good foundation of, of you know, leaders. Now we're building up that next set of leaders, and bringing in talent to do that, to scale across all of those functions, right? So we have really needs across all of those functions. That'll lead me into this next segment. We'll, we'll learn a little bit more about uh, some of these different roles and um, sure. a little bit more about uh, the culture here. So, yeah, this is going to be a segment called Five Second Scramble. Uh, you'll have five seconds to kind of sum up your your answers, and uh, let's let's dive uh, let's dive right into it. So, um, explain your your product to me as if I were a, a five year old. We help identify the people that um, have been um, coerced to take your to steal your stuff. I got that. Um, what problems are you solving? Nation state IP theft. Who are your users? Uh, chief security officers, insider threat professionals, general counsels. 
What's your favorite aspect about working at Strider? There's always a cool problem to work on. What aspect of your culture do you most fear losing with growth? The team camaraderie, mm -hmm. right? Just, just those tight teams and knowing who does what. What about your work keeps you up at night? Putin doing something crazy. <laughs> I was going to say, the type of work that you guys are doing, there's enough to scare yourself a little bit of, of what, what happens out there. Yeah. Um, what, um, what type of engineer would you say thrives at Strider? Adaptable. Very nice. And uh, what's one of your favorite hobbies? Oh, I love to cook. I love to cook, right? You know, software development has taught me, like, you can pound on a program, program all day long, but yeah. you go home, you make, you make some food, at least you have food on the table at the end of the day. Do you, keep the, do you keep the recipes or do you make something new every time? Uh, I, I sometimes make something new. I, I love trying different stuff. I'll do some French. I'll do Indian. I'll do smoke a brisket. I'm, 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 you know, not a fan of Thai, which my wife is not very happy with, but that's another issue altogether. When, when can I come over for dinner? <laughs> the next time I smoke a brisket, I'll send you a note. <laughs> that sounds you don't wonderful. live very far apart. <laughs> uh, favorite, favorite app on your phone? Um, probably Quora. Okay. Do you have a favorite superhero? Batman. Classic. Good answer. R the right answer. <laughs> um, and you know, now we can. We, these don't have to be five seconds. We. I, I want to get uh, a little bit more intel on some stuff uh, at Strider. What What's the core kind of like uh, tech stack that you're you're building with over there? Uh, from the data side, big Elasticsearch shot, right? Elasticsearch is huge for what we do. Uh, from a dev perspective, the backends were Python shop, right? The delivery site is not a Python from a, what customers see. That's Node, React, st standard, you know, responsive single page app type. And, you know, we talked a little bit about, you know, the growth, um, you know, you're cer certainly hiring right now. Um, what would you say are some of those key roles right now that are really top of mind that would help round out your teams? What, what are some of those positions? You know, if you're a, a, a mid, mid to senior engineer, right, that knows Python or another language similar to Python or, or has skills in Java or, or C or things like that, we're, we're a great shop. If you like working with data and working on interesting problems that make a difference um, to the Western world, right? Mm-hmm. Give us, give us a look, right? Um, we're doing stuff that's interesting that no one else that I know of is actually doing outside of maybe some intelligence agencies. Yeah, certainly, you know, looking for folks that are, are probably very passionate about the mission, right? I mean, this seems like you, you got to be, you got to be enthusiastic you about the mission. the mission alignment. The mission alignment is huge. Yeah. And um, what, you know, when you hired, would you say that you kind of hire for a a general skill set or do you, do you hire to fill like a specific need on a, a specific team? We, so I, I, I've been in tech a while, right? Technologies change, technologies evolve, right? I look for folks that can evolve, right? They, that are adaptable, much like what I said, adaptable, right? What, what the hot tool or technique is today will most likely be different in five years, 
right? I want someone to be along with that journey. Yeah. Right? Some of the biggest things that brought me joy from my time at Comscore was being able to evolve the team from the days of everything being in low level C to higher level languages like Java and moving from building your own individual distributed framework to leveraging frameworks like, right, or yeah. just massive things. That's what you want to do from if you're going to build a, a good, strong culture is how they, you can grow the team and don't treat people as disposal. Sure. Yeah, that's well said. Um, my, my last question, just in closing, you know, somebody who's, who's worked in, you know, five, you said five startups, um, you know, are there, is there a certain stage that, you know, you would say is, is the most exciting for you? Um, and uh, what would that be? And, and, you know, you've, you've seen, you've seen from, you know, the founding engineer to, you know, to IPO and beyond, um, you know, what, 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 what are the stages that, that you think are really, really exciting as a entrepreneur? Yeah. So I company, you know, with a company growing, it's not like a kid, right. You know, there's the, like, is there a favorite stage? Like when your baby's born to when they're like toddlers or you're taking them to like stirred out doing like, soccer practice to watch them go through high school graduation it, to travel hockey leagues travel hockey it's it's <laughs> i kind of think it's like it's there's there's things of each different stage that i just really love right the very beginning of like this really hard like how do we make this work can this actually do it like that classic like yeah i believe we can make something work here and you actually get to see that right after months of hard work to how do you build up that org team how do you build that org structure to, to grow efficiently how do you scale from like one client to four to 10 to 20 to 30 to those type of things i i don't know i'm i'm hard for me to choose a a specific stage right but long as you're growing long as you're building it's all good to me yeah that's that's a good point i mean it's it's tough like uh, i like your reference of of your kids you know it's like you, you're gonna have favorite times of different stages of their their development their life right um it's tough to pick just a small part but as long as you kind of always work towards the big picture of, of growing it out um you know it's it's all part of uh, what keeps you keeps you motivated so i i'm really happy that we were able to connect mike um you know we're we're, we're excited to call you guys a partner and um you know really excited for for you all to continue to build and and satisfy this uh, you know critical mission uh, so thanks for joining us on uh, on the Hatchpad as well. Thanks for being a great partner. Are you a startup founder or tech leader looking to grow your engineering or product teams? If so, Hatch IT could be a partner worth exploring. We've helped hundreds of startups scale their tech teams with relational and marketing-driven recruiting solutions. Check out hatchit.io hire to learn more about how we can help your teams grow.